Amen. If you have your Bibles and you would, find 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. As you're finding that, I would like to tell you, we're going to be starting a series on Who Are You? Now, I'm not endorsing this movie, but growing up, if you are my age or older, you probably watched a cartoon by the name of Alice in Wonderland. It was a TV movie. It was a movie. Lots of feelings about it. Some people think it's a cult. Some people think it's drug worship, but it's a kid's movie. Uh, But there is a part in that movie where a caterpillar asks Alice a simple question, Who are you? And that question was asked to start the concept of change. What do you do with change? And as we start this series, I want to tell you that who you are is a question that most of us have an answer to. I would say I'm Jacob Gray, the husband of Tony, the father of Kylie, Andrea, Jayla, Tinley, Lydia, and Leslie. And yes, I counted so I wouldn't forget. Uh, I am the child of John and Valerie. I have grandparents. I live one mile north of Algren. and I, I am the pastor at Ten Mile. And we would say those are the things about who I am. But then you would say, well, no, who are you? Well, I can be stubborn. I can be angry. I think I can be kind. You, you begin to explain these things. You might say, well, Jake, I know who you are and what you are, but what do you do? And that question we would continue to answer and answer. But as we start this series, I can tell you I have never wanted to not preach something that I knew I had to preach as I have wanted to get out of this. I even told God this week, and if you haven't read ahead, that's your fault, not mine. I even said, Lord, what would they do to me if I just walked in and said, we're going to start the book of 1 Thessalonians? Nothing, right? I mean, what could they do to me? Uh, And I even contemplated that. But the Lord said, Jake, you should be more worried about what I will do to you. And uh, I say that because as we start this series, I want you to know that the context of today's sermon is very delicate. And if you have young children, I will promise to be as delicate and as uh, tender-footed as possible over this topic today. But I want you to know something that so many times we tell ourselves that if we come from the right family and we have the right last name, if we have the right job, if we go to the right church, if we do all the right things, then everything works out perfectly. But when we look at King David's family, King David's children had more opportunities than any other child in Israel. They had more wealth, they had more privilege, they had more access, they had more favor because their dad was the king. And so many times we look and say, if we can just accumulate certain things, then we will not face the problems that the world does. Sometimes we start to think that our family name, or our family fortune, or our status in the community means that we are above the problems of this world. But as we look over the next couple weeks, I want you to know a couple things. One, no family is above problems. No family is above strife. No family is above brokenness. Today, no family is defined only by their brokenness. You have probably said something like this or heard something like this said. When people find out we have six children, some people are like, Oh, 
that is so wonderful for you. For, for you. Other people will say things like, well, I guess Jake can't afford to put shoes on his kids, so let's just randomly drop clothes that don't fit or not even the right gender at his house, and maybe they can make use of them. Appreciate that, but please stop. And that's what defines our family pretty much is chaos. But you probably know some families that you would say have a pretty bad reputation. Maybe their parents were dishonest. Maybe there's been situations in their past with the law. You've read their name in the court report. And so when you think of that family, you think, yeah, they're just beyond repair. But I'm here today, hopefully, to start a series to tell you that when family struggles, when our children wander, when marriages are on the rocks, when all that life throws at you rocks you to the core, it does not define who you are. It does not define the worth that you have in the eyes of God. And so who you are, hopefully today, is a child of God. And whether you are at a time of great blessing, a time of great pain, a time of great hurt, or a time of great brokenness, you are His. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3 because some of you will leave here today saying, Jake, I cannot believe you preached this sermon. I cannot believe this is in the Bible, but... This is what the Word of God says about the Holy Scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, "...but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus." All Scripture, all of it, from Genesis chapter 1 till the end of Revelation, all Scripture is given by God, is by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so today we are going to look at probably one of the most heartbreaking, wicked stories in all of the Bible. We're going to be talking about a topic that has rocked every family, a topic that has been involved in every church. And today you can do one of two things. You can act like none of this has ever happened to you and your family. You can act like you are not affected by sin, abuse, and struggle. Or today you can be reminded that God can forgive, God can heal, God can restore. And so as we jump right in today, if you haven't found Second Samuel chapter 13, if you would... And let's pray. Father, today You know me. God, You know my fears, my failures. God, You know my weaknesses, my struggles. And so God, today I come asking for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that You would help me to preach Your Word with boldness, with compassion. But God, knowing that only Your Spirit can change hearts and lives. Only Your Spirit can tear down strongholds. And God, today I ask that You would remind us to remember who we are. Yours regardless of our situations, regardless of our circumstances, that if we know You as our personal Savior, we are Yours. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here last week, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
sermon was one of the most encouraging, positive sermons I can preach. You say, Jake, I didn't think it was encouraging and positive. That's the best I can do, all right? Um, and David has finally overcame the struggle that he had. He has now got Bathsheba as his wife. He has a new child. He has de- enemies are defeated. He is at a high point in his life. God has blessed him. God has forgiven him. And all of us would say that's where we want to live life in the mountaintop moments, in the time of blessing, in the time of joy, in the time of victory. But immediately following that, David's family begins to plunge itself into chaos. And so starting in 2 Samuel chapter 13 in verse 1, After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now what we see here is Absalom and Tamar had the same dad and the same mom, King David and their mother. Amnon had King David as a father, but a different mother. And so she would have been his half-sister. And you say, well, Jake, you're supposed to love your family. You are right, but this is not a Christian, biblical family love. This is a love of lust. It's not love at all. It's wickedness. It's sin. And look here in verse 2. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. The Bible specifically says that it was wrong, that it was wicked for this man to have these feelings, these desires for her. Once she was pure, One, she was his sister. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. The danger of ungodly desires. And today we're looking at one of the most wicked, awful, heartbreaking stories of the Old Testament. And some people will say, well, good thing I don't have this desire. Good thing I'm not this wicked. Praise the Lord. But friends, all of us have temptations in our life. All of us have areas that can lead us astray. Today, your sin and my sin might look different. You might struggle with pride where I struggle with covetousness. You might struggle with lust where I struggle with anger. You might struggle with homosexuality and someone else might struggle with fear. Whatever sin that you struggle with, Satan will use those ungodly desires to lead you astray. You say, Jake, I don't have any ungodly desires, then you're a liar. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. What we see from this passage of Scripture, as it is horrifying, as it is awful, it is terrible, it is a reminder that the human heart, when it is not following the Lord, when it is not under the leadership of God, there is no limit to the wickedness of the human heart. And so in verse 3 it says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. This would have been Amnon's cousin, Absalom's cousin, Tamar's cousin. He was a great friend to Amnon, but not in a good sense. He was close to him. And the Bible says that he was a crafty man. And this wasn't that he made woodworking projects. This was that he was deceptive. 
This that he was wicked, that he was manipulative. The Bible says that. And he said to him, why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnod said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. You say, Jake, I don't like where this story is going. I don't either. In James chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You see, what we see in this passage of Scripture is something that his father did. King David looked out from a balcony and saw a woman that was not his wife and lusted after her, wanted her, and ended up what? Bringing her into his home. You see, friends, even though David was forgiven, even though God had forgiven David, friends, remember something. The consequences of sin last forever on this earth. And what we begin to see is King David's family begins to follow the example that he set. You say, well, Jake, King David never did this with a family member. You are correct. But remember this simple statement. What one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. What one generation embraces, the next generation thrives in it. And as David began to model to his children the sin of sexual sins, the sins of defiling the marriage bed, it begins to spiral out of control. And so we see the danger of ungodly desires. Second thing I want to show you this morning is this, the danger of ungodly friends. So listen to verse 5. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it. From her hand. Now I know that no teenager likes to hear this statement. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is someone who was struggling and had a friend that said, Hey, just live it. Just thrive in it. Just embrace it. Parents, you need to know something as adults or children. You need to surround yourself with people who will tell you that that's wrong. That you shouldn't go that direction. You should embrace that. You should run from that. And what we see is the danger of ungodly friends. Think about King David. He had just proven what it meant to be an ungodly friend. He had done that to Uriah. And now as we begin to see David's family follow the pattern of their leader. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, says it like this, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And while David had made mistakes and David had been the bad example, David still did not make the choices for his children. And parents, today I want you to know something that you can teach your kids, you can lead your kids, you can be the examples that God wants you to be, but they are still responsible for the choices that they make. And today as we read this passage of Scripture and we see how this begins to unfold, 
we should see something here that it doesn't just happen immediately. It begins a process of how I feel, what I'm encouraged to do, and then doing it. I want to just say as we go to this third and final point, that I think that this has become probably to me one of the most heartbreaking passages of Scripture now that I have daughters. And as we read this, I pray that you will hear what God says, not what I say. Ignoring the warning signs of danger will ruin lives. Ignoring the warning signs of danger will ruin lives. Starting in verse 6, it says, Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. They all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. I want you to hear the significance of how many times brother, sister is used. It's calling attention to the fact that what is happening here is wrong. Verse 11, Now when she had brought them to him to eat, He took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. And so she said to him, No, indeed, This evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And this servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put on ashes on her head and tore her robes of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? 
But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard all of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to her brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. He said, Jake, I cannot believe you just read that. I cannot believe you would talk about that in public. The great problem in Baptist churches is we have refused to talk about wickedness when it hits close to home. In a Southern Baptist, we are now dealing with an issue of abuse, sexual assault for minors that is wrong. What we see from this passage of Scripture is a sin that no person should have to go through. I will not use the word of what has happened in this passage of Scripture, but you understand, hopefully, what has happened here. And there are a couple things that happen in a passage of Scripture like this. We begin to get angry. We begin to say things like, why did her brother tell her not to give it any mind? What that means is not ignore it, not overlook it, but what it means is I'm going to take care of it. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen or that she should forget it. He says, don't you worry about getting this taken care of. I will. Now we know in the coming up verses that he didn't handle it the right way, but he was her advocate. And I am here to tell you today that whether it is from the pulpit or the pew, God's people must call wickedness, wickedness. We must preach the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of purity, the sanctity of God's ordination for how these things are to work. And when it does not happen, we must not remain silent. I can promise you today that of a church of this size, there is abuse in the chairs. It's something that none of us want to talk about, none of us want to think about, none of us want to address, but it is real. And today as we sit in our beautiful church, in our beautiful clothes, in our beautiful building, I can promise you that there is someone in this place today that is living with a pain that no one should have to live with. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend, I don't know. But I'm here to tell you today that God knows your pain and loves you. And while maybe the church has not been your advocate, maybe your family has not been there for you in your time of abuse, as long as I stand in this pulpit, as long as I preach God's Word, I will tell you what it is. Sin. And it should have never happened. It should have never happened to Tamar, and it should have never happened to you. And today I pray that this church, no matter what the sin is, whether it's something we don't want to talk about, it's something that affects our own family, that we will be bold. That we will tell people that that is not their fault. And that God loves them. We will tell those who commit this sin that it is wrong. The largest Baptist church in Indiana 
for many, many years. It was not a Southern Baptist church, but it was an independent Baptist church. And I recently watched that pastor who is dead, and I'm not going to say where I think he went, preach about the fact that when something like this happens, that it's not the male's fault, it's the woman's fault, it's how she was dressed, it's where she was at. Friends, I am here to tell you today that that is not of God. And it's not a man of God. It's not the Word of God. I do want to just say that we live in a fallen world, a broken world. And while something like this should never happen to a person, and we must do all that we can to preach it, and to teach it, and to make sure that those that commit these crimes are punished, we also should exercise caution. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are certain times of night that I don't drive through East St. Louis. I don't drive through Chicago. I'm not worried about where I'm going. I know Him and I know what I'm carrying, and it is not my concern for my safety. But I need you to know that we live in a wicked, sinful world where Satan is always looking for who he may devour. Always looking where he may devour innocence, purity, and righteousness. What we see from this passage of Scripture also causes us anger because we see King David. And King David does nothing but gets angry. And friends, I want you to know today that we can be angry over sin, but that does not mean we have done what is right. It doesn't mean that we have stood for those who are defenseless and hopeless and broken. The Bible tells us that God wants us to stand up for the widow and the orphan and the poor and those who cannot defend themselves. While we preach the gospel that Jesus Christ truly is the only one who can save and forgive and change and restore, we must not grow silent to the wickedness of the world that we live. You see, there are some sins that we can all rally behind and talk about being evil. There are some sins that make wonderful sermons when the pastor pounds his fist and shouts and you amen. But there are some topics that cause us all to be very quiet. And this is one of them. But friends, while I say this, I want to be clear. Our church... Our families are not immune to the problems of this world. And while this church must always remain a place that preaches God's Word, that declares right, right, and wrong, wrong, that sin is what God says it is, we must always be a place that welcomes the broken and the hurting. The prodigal who has ran from God and who has ruined their life and who has ended up in the court reports of the McLeansboro paper, that person can find forgiveness and healing through Jesus Christ. You know how I know that? I've been in the court reports for the McLeansboro paper. Not just speeding, by the way. Twice I was arrested for drinking as a minor. You say, well, everybody does it as a teenager. Yes, but I have also had family members that have died from it and others who have been killed by it. You say, well, Jake, I I was never arrested. I was a better person than you. I got them both thrown out, so it's okay, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's the county that we live in. But it's still wrong. Friends, I'm glad that when God convicted me of my sin, 
drew me back to Himself. That when I asked for forgiveness, He forgave me. And friends, this church must always welcome those who have been far from God, but God has brought them close. It doesn't matter what their families have done. It doesn't matter what their last names are. It doesn't matter if they have nothing of these worldly goods that we value so much. As long as God can change them, we should love them. But also, the church should be a place that welcomes the hurting. I've pastored long enough to know that people come with problems. All come with problems, some more than others. And I can tell you, honestly, as a pastor, there are some times when I get a phone call from certain people, I think, oh, what is it now? None of you. None of you. Only Christmas and Easter people, not you guys. I'm kidding. But let's be honest. It's easy to grow weary doing good. It's easy to think, how much more can we handle? How many more problems can we hear? But friends, if we truly want to be the church that God wants us to be, I believe He's going to send us hurting people. Sometimes hurting is because of the loss of a loved one. Sometimes hurting is because of the health needs of a person and the diagnosis that they get. And we like to pray for those people. We'll sit beside you at hospitals and we'll sit beside you in funerals. But what if that pain is caused by the abuse of someone else? What if that brokenness they are carrying is something that you are not comfortable talking about? What if their brokenness is something you've been through but never told a soul? That's real church. That's real when God begins to work in people's lives that have no hope. That's when people begin to see change that there is no answer other than God did that. I'm thankful that we're the biggest church in town. I'm thankful that we have wonderful people. I'm thankful that we have a beautiful building. I'm thankful for you. You know what I really want? I want God to send people that no one wants and for Him to save them and change them. And when the world says they have no value, we can say they do because they belong to Him. They might be broken. They might be hurting. They might have nothing to offer you. But in the eyes of God, they're His. Friends, today I know this is not the sermon you probably wanted to hear. It's not the sermon you probably thought you were going to hear. But I am here to tell you today that I don't know where you're at or what you're going through, but I believe God wants you to hear two things. And the first is this. If you are leading down a path away from God, like Amnon, repent. Let the sin in your life stop. Turn to Him knowing that He will forgive you, knowing that He will love you, knowing that He will care about you. But two, if you're the her in this story, you don't have to be male or female. Well, you have to be one or the other. But even though Satan has tried to convince you that you have no value, 
That's not how God sees you. And even though you think that what you've been through has to be the only thing that defines you, God says it doesn't. And when the world says you're too broken, you're too hurting, you're too damaged, God says you're not. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and was buried and rose again, He died for your sins and mine. Whether you are far from Him or you are hurting, He is the answer. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've really looked forward to preaching this sermon. Not because I thought you'd like it. Or not even because I like it. Because I'm just praying there is one person who is here today who feels like they have no hope, but knows they can. One person feels like they have no value, but realizes they do. It is not because of me, but it's because of Him. So friends, I want to encourage you, whatever's keeping you from here today, know that He loves you, and He died for you, and He will save you. You say, well, Jake, I don't have any problems like this in my family. My kids are good. My marriage is good. My finances are good. Be thankful. But I can promise you, if you are not the only person in your family, there is somebody carrying pain that you probably have never even heard about it. And so today, pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for God's protection and God's safety but also pray that God would remind them no matter how far they run or no matter what pain they go through, that He loves them. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I'm going to trust today that You put Your Word in place knowing that who would be here today. God, a year and a half ago when we started these books, Lord, you knew here who would be here, and I didn't. And so, Lord, we have trusted you verse by verse, word by word, week by week. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. God, that you are forgiving and working and moving. Lord, I pray that you are showing each and every one of us that our sin will bring ruin to our lives and to our family and to our marriages but it doesn't have to. But God, I do especially want to pray today for those that are hurting, for whatever has caused that hurt, for whatever pain they're going through, that today, God, you would remind them that you love them, that you care about them, that you're with them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church that prays for others, that welcomes others. And God, that today would be the day that something very special starts in this place. Start my life, Lord, in my family. God, I pray for that one person here today, Lord, that doesn't know you. Lord, whether they are lost, 
because they don't think they need you. Or God, whether they're lost because they think they're not good enough that they can't be saved. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would show each and every one of us that You died for us, that You love us, that You can save us. And so, Father, whether it's a time of thanksgiving, a time of rejoicing, a time of repentance, a time of weeping, Lord, let this place be honest with You today. And we'll give You all the credit and all the glory and all the honor. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.